Break, 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back with you here on The Punch-Out on this Wednesday, the 3rd of February, 2021. Very happy to be with you as we are Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here on Breakthrough News. We got plenty for you here today, as always, including Amazon. A lot going on about Amazon. You might not have heard that they are a big-time wage thief. Yes, they're stealing workers' wages in large numbers. Uh, Also, we're going to talk about the truth behind all these stories about quote-unquote rising crime or rising murders in the United States. But before we get to either of those important stories, we want to start with the country of Haiti, where there is a massive general strike that just ended an ongoing protest. Well, those were sounds from protests in Haiti recently there uh, on Monday and Tuesday. The country was completely shut down, more or less. The two-day general strike that was happening there, part of intensifying efforts of which those protests you heard are also a part, demanding the resignation of President Jovenel Moise. This is the latest flare-up in several years of often intense popular struggles to oust Moise, who has only a tenuous hold on the, the country since a major protest erupted in 2018. For the past three weeks, there have been at least one protest taking place every single day leading up to this mass intensification uh, that was a general strike on Monday and Tuesday and more to- protest plan into the rest of this week leading up to Sunday. The round, this particular round of protests began in early January when Moyes proposed elections that will allegedly at least happen this September and declared he would also amend the Constitution through a referendum. A legacy, uh, the Constitution that is, is a legacy of the pro-democracy struggles against the Duvalier dictatorship of the 80s. So many people feel that this uh, is an attempt to erase that legacy of a democratic movement by pushing forward Moise's own ability to stay in power for even longer. This would allow him to stay in power at least until February of 2022. He's already been ruling by decree for about a year here, and his term is supposed to end this Sunday. So the whole thing is essentially his plan for these September elections and a constitutional referendum, a way to rewrite the laws to keep himself in power and to change everything that has been impeding him, as it were, that led him to dissolve the parliament, as it were, most of it, and start to rule by decree over a year ago. So people are very, very upset about not only this attempt 
attempt to just completely wipe away any even semblance of democracy and even some of the symbols of the movement that overthrew the dictatorship, but also because of just the disastrous tenure of Moyes. He's presided over extreme scarcity in food, fuel, uh, there's widespread corruption. In fact, the protests that started a few years back were, and since then have been particularly ignited by revelations around billions of dollars, over $3 billion, almost $4 billion actually, of development aid that came from Venezuela, but just was totally stolen and squandered by the president and his cronies there. And the protests have also recently been talking quite a bit about a rising wave of kidnappings. There's a big wave of kidnappings happening there and other violent acts that have been uh, happening as an outgrowth of criminal gangs becoming a much bigger issue. And this is because Moyes lacks real legitimacy. And, and as we've seen with a number of incidents, including a recent bungled attempt to bring in U.S. mercenaries, he only really has partial control over the state. There's a bit of a power vacuum. It's being filled by various actors, including these criminal gangs. So people also protesting, not just Moyes, but the entire state of affairs that has come in the wake of his uh, attempt to just hang on to power and rule autocratically. Now, the reason he has been able to hang on is because the opposition has been relatively divided here and he's also been willing to use extreme violence. Recently, a coalition of opposition organizations has agreed on a transitional government of sorts. They say that that government will be the legal government as of Sunday. They're calling for Moyes to vacate before then. He seems very unlikely to do so. He's claiming that his term doesn't actually end on Sunday. There's a dispute about what happened in an election in 2015 and when exactly his term started. So he's saying he doesn't need to be out. Opposition, coalition, saying he does need to be out by Sunday. They already have a candidate that can take over. But there are other major sectors of the opposition that didn't agree to that. So it's unclear if Moyes doesn't step down, which he probably will not. What will really happen with an opposition coalition? Will it coalesce? or not. The bigger issue here, I think, is that really the masses themselves don't seem to fully have trust in any one particular actor. They seem unable to fully coalesce around one particular uh, approach to eliminating Moyes, and he's able to exploit that. But in addition, as I said, uh, there is just massive, massive repressive efforts that he has been putting forward on popular movements. Moyes, that is. A recent study that came out from the last major wave of protests from uh, July of 2018 to December of 2019, noted that during that period, there was a 333% increase in human rights violations. So that gives you a sense of how Moyes tries to deal with his opposition here. Now, what is 100% clear, though, is he does have very little public support. The opposition to him is massive. The United States is the most influential actor uh, in the whole thing, really, and they seem content to just let Moyes uh, see if he can last. At one point, it seemed that they were trying to reconcile Moyes and the opposition, the U.S., uh, but now now they seem to just be making these pro forma calls for elections. But the chance of elections happening, uh, at least with any sort of credibility anytime soon, is obviously very low. So it's clearly just a PR strategy around uh, avoiding taking any real action towards uh, Moyes, as it were. And no surprise, because the U.S. has gone out of its way to destabilize every government that cared even a modicum for the people of Haiti since the early 1990s. They prefer to maintain a corrupt kleptocratic elite that remains tied to U.S. foreign policy goals in the broader region of the Caribbean and Latin America and keeps the company, uh, keep, keeps the country, I should say, open for total super exploitation. So, 
They're more than happy to have Moyes stick around and they don't see anyone who may keep that status quo going in a way that they really want to back them. And thus, uh, it helps continue the deadlock here that exists. So the struggle will continue uh, some way, somehow. But one thing we can say for sure is over the next few weeks, it seems that the fight against Moyes will continue in a major way as the masses continue to strike, continue to protest, and overall just continue to struggle. Well, headlines have been all over the U.S. recently about this issue of quote-unquote rising crime, rising homicides. Big new article in the Washington Post today talking about a study of 34 cities that was released just this week. And it says, it makes the claim, I should say, that homicides rose 30% in 2020. Now, I say claim not because I am doubting this really in any major way, but I just want to note here that most quote-unquote crime statistics are based on a range of various methods of self-reporting by the police and information that's called from public sources and surveys. So you always have to consider it with that in mind. And, you know, considering it with that in mind, it does, in fact, relate to some pretty sobering statistics, noting that in Milwaukee, homicides rose from about 95% last year in 2020. Milwaukee, 95% increase. Louisville, 92% increase. Chicago, 55%. New York, 45%. And LA, 38%. So, you know, over 90% in Milwaukee and Louisville. Very serious increase. Tragic, in many ways, an increase in murders there. But the report also notes, and this is also worth remembering from a framing standpoint, that homicide rates overall remain well below the record levels of the early to mid-1990s, about 11 homicides per 100,000 people in 2020. It was about 15, I believe. No, no, 19, I think, in 1995, about 19 in 1995. So that gives you a sense of where the difference is there. But, you know, in a broader sense, what is really important about this is that this report and ones like it are used to build the case against taking any resources away from the police or focusing on any other sort of approaches to community violence or addressing community violence other than policing. The report itself is a bit more nuanced, I should say, and it does say the police made some difference, but they also talk about the role of violence interrupters, and we'll get to that, saying that both the police and community outreach workers were hampered by COVID-19, thus they were unable to do their jobs the way they normally would, and thus homicides went up, as it were. But when you think about it, you, you know, it really all speaks directly to the fact that the police are just not, in fact, doing much at all to slow homicides. None of these cities' police departments in 2020 were defunded. In the larger cities like New York or Chicago or LA or DC, they literally have billions of dollars and thousands, if not tens of thousands in the case of New York City, police officers. Even these smaller departments, as we've seen, uh, they bring out these riot police at protests. Even these smaller departments are equally, if at a lesser proportion, well-resourced. And all the same places the past several years have also seen similar complaints about rising homicides and gun crimes. So that means over a number of years, with on a national scale tens of billions of dollars and almost a million cops in this country, they have proven ineffective at actually stopping the crime that they hold up as the big, biggest example of why they even need to exist. So if anything else, you just have to ask yourself, are they really having the impact they are having? And can we actually draw this conclusion? I would say no. Here's why. It's because of that second piece, the one about violence interruption. And violence interruption, for people who don't know, is just a community-based thing where people with credibility in communities go out. They're sort of outreach workers. They, they disrupt things before they start happening. They, they are at the point uh, where people are thinking about 
taking action and they're, they're sort of cooling down the situation, if you will. But by and large, it's it's a complicated process, a little more complicated than that. What matters is it's not the cops, it's people in the community, it's people people trust, and at the end of the day, they're able to intervene in a way that has a massive rate of, of success. I'll just give you just a few numbers from a few of these programs that have happened around the country. Um, 63% reduction in shootings in the South Bronx, a 50 cent, 50% reduction in gun injuries in East New York, 56% reduction Reduction in killings in Baltimore, 41 to 73% reductions in shootings in Chicago, 63% fewer shootings in the South Bronx, 41 to 73% fewer shootings in Chicago, 50% fewer gun injuries in East New York, and a decrease in homicides, a decrease in actual people who were killed of 56% there in Baltimore. I mean, just major numbers there. Yet, these programs are massively under-resourced, if at all resourced or even, you know, accepted by the community. In Louisville, one of the cities where they were talking about there was a massive increase, 92% increase in homicides. Well, violence interruption programs there have to fend for themselves without any real institutional support or major funding. So, from my point of view, what's really behind the increase in homicides is the decline in the disproportionate impact of community-based violence interruption because of the COVID-19 pandemic, combined with the fact that they were massively under-resourced already, which puts them in less of a position to adapt in emergency situations. But there's as much evidence of anything that they are playing a bigger role in reductions of shootings and of murders in this country than the police. And the real scandal is that we have evidence-based, non-police methods of reducing violent crime, quote-unquote crime. I mean, even that's so loaded of a statement. But it can barely, these programs can barely get a million dollars or a few million dollars of funding, much less billions of dollars given to police departments whose results are certainly lackluster. I mean, in many cities like Baltimore and Chicago, when the programs start to have success, they actually are more likely to be defunded. I mean, it's an unbelievable state of affairs. We know what to do, but they refuse not to do it because the reality is that these politicians and the elites who back them at all levels want a repressive force. The main issue isn't stopping violence, it's having a repressive force for social control. If not, why would you not give $6 billion dollars to the people who are having dozens and dozens of percent reductions in one to three years in shootings and murders. It wouldn't make any difference at all. So no doubt at all, it is extremely tragic to see that there has been an increase in homicides in 2020, but we cannot allow this to become a rallying point for those who want to continue police terrorism. It's wrong in every way, and increased homicides doesn't change that at all, and nor does it make any sort of sound argument to do anything other than what people were calling for on the streets around the country last year. Defund the police. <laughs> Well, yesterday, I have to say, the government gave a little assist to Amazon and the PR department, as it were. They chose Tuesday as the day to announce. And of course, yesterday was the day Amazon was getting all sorts of great press over these just huge revenue reports that they're getting uh, in from last year. They made a lot of money last year. They picked Tuesday, the government, that is, to release the news that Amazon was also paying $61 million, just about a little bit more than that, to settle a lawsuit over wage theft. As the Wall Street Journal reported the lawsuit was over, quote, it's past failure to pay some Amazon Flex drivers the full amount of the tips they received from customers. Now, Amazon claims that they didn't actually steal the wages, but the reality is the settlement says it all. In total, Amazon will pay $61.7 million to settle claims that they stole one-third 
of the flex drivers' tips between 2016 and 2019. Amazon was claiming to these drivers they were paying them 100% of the tips that were given to them by customers. And they were claiming that falsely because they were actually taking some of the tips in order to reimburse themselves for the base wage that they paid the drivers. And at first, they even claimed that this was the same thing as getting 100% of the tips. Ultimately, they discontinued the practice when they realized that there was a major federal investigation going on in 2019, and they're now... I guess, hoping to put it behind them with this settlement. But it's just as good as time uh, as any, really, to remind people that wage theft is the largest form of theft in America. Roughly $15 billion, $15 billion is stolen from workers every year in wage theft. All other forms of theft combined add up to just over $12 billion. More money is stolen in wages by bosses every single year than every other form of theft combined. But almost no business owners ever do any jail time, ever do anything more than paying a fine, and most of them don't even get caught, so they don't even do that. But if you go and you you rob $40 from somewhere to survive, that puts you in prison for years. If there is ever any example of the morality or the lack thereof of U.S. capitalism, there it is, right there. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. 